this generation rules the nation with version. Kill the arms of the full damn love. Sounds to really make you rub and Correct Overglitz. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 88th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD, featuring Judge Dredd for October 1982. Progs, 284 to 288. This week, the Angel Gang runs amok in Mega City 1, Rogue Trooper finally meets the Traitor General, and Harry 20 arrives at the High Rock. Aww, uh, snap! Yeah! Definitely. So, let's get things started, Fox, by uh, putting on our World Cup hats and getting going out to Through One Robo Hunter. Yeah, this one's a rough one. Uh, script robot Alan Grant, and then Alan Grant and John Wagner as Grant Grover. Uh, art robot Ian Gibson, letting robot Steve Potter. Something I didn't mention last time is this is the, uh, is that this story starts the, uh, starts the Grant Wagner combine writing in, um, in Robo Hunter as well. We've previously had just been credited to Alan Grant, but now two of them are, the two of them are writing this one as well as Judge Dredd and, uh, Ace Trucking. Ooh. So that means that of the uh, of the five regular progs that we're covering, uh, three of them are written by uh, Wagner Grant. Two of them are written by Jerry Findlay Day, um, and it's just you know at this point in in uh, in, in uh, his book, the Mighty One, Steve McManus was sort of lamenting the fact that he had that, that he didn't have enough writers writing stuff. There too many <sighs> too many eggs in one basket at this point. <laughs> I mean, they're doing a crack up job, but well. It's not that they're, yeah, it's not that they're bad. It's just that, like, as an editor working with freelancers, he sort of feels like, oh, we should get some more variety in here just so that these guys can't be like, well, you know, we're doing all the, providing all the content, so let's raise our rates, you know, or something like that. That's pretty fair. <laughs> or, you know, if someone gets hit by a bus or something, suddenly you're, you're out of luck. Anyhow, it's the Copa Mundial! <laughs> England is playing Germany in the Robot World Cup, and uh, Kev, Trev, Bev, and the other Trev are making the right mess of it, Fox. (laughs) Yeah, they seem to not be uh, taking this game too seriously here, Brian. That's right, Brian. At the same time, Sam is meeting with the manager and coach for England, uh, Ron and Don. Last time we we mentioned that uh, Ron is based on the England national team's coach, Ron Greedwood. Don is based on the previous coach, Don Revy. Um, so it turns out that Don's also brought a detective into the case, and that is Kid! Ooh, that kid! Like, uh, it's kind of, like, weird he's dressing exactly like Sam. I really, yeah, I, I, I like that a lot, how, uh, how Kid, as a detective, is wearing the same, like, vest and shoulder strap combo that Sam is. Like, to be a, a cool robot, robo-hunter, like, the vest is standard issue, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, we've, we know that there are, like, it's like it was rather a legitimate business. I just don't remember people wearing the same thing as Sam. So there's I mean, like it's, some yeah. hero worship going on here without... It's a little hard to tell because the last time we saw other robo-hunters, they were all, like, in prison during the Day of the Droid story, uh, yeah. I think. Um, but so, uh, 
So Sam goes to uh, toss Kit out, um, but instead... Literally. Yeah, like, like sorry, picks him up by the diaper, he's about to give him the bum's rush. But instead, both offer to stay after their fees have been doubled. Uh, Sam checks the player's circuitry and finds nothing wrong, so there must be something that's happening to them once they get out to the field. Uh, Sam, Kid, and the bots go to inspect the stands during the next match between England and Japan. The winner of this match will go to the semifinals, and it's scored uh, 4-4, to where the English players do a beautiful scoring sequence to score an own goal. <laughs> yeah, which uh, is not... I don't, I don't know much about uh, soccer ball. That ain't good, it seems like. Yeah, no, you don't want to... You know, with soccer, whenever the ball crosses the score... you know. You can definitely score on yourself in soccer. That's what I'm trying to say. They call it their own That's goal. Real it's real humiliating. That's <laughs> real bad. Yeah. So Sam is scanning the crowd of, of, of Japan versus England when a kid calls out one of the fans. And, oh, man, uh, Fox, it gets a little racist here. So <laughs> I, I've made comparisons of Robo Hunter being kind of like Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. And and at this point, it actually crosses that threshold into definitely Looney Tunes. And Looney Tunes have done this, where yes, it's like yeah. extra super racist, especially yeah, some some okay. regrettable like mid fifties uh, Looney Tunes that 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 don't actually make the cut to more modern collections of them and stuff. But yeah, there's there's R and L switching. Um, and all the Japanese fans are obsessed with cameras and stuff. Kid smashes the guy's camera, causes a massive riot because Kid has a Blakey the Pentax. And Pentax is, of course, a Japanese camera brand. Huge riot breaks out, finally broken up by Robocops who haul our guys to jail for being no good soccer hooligans. So what's crazy is all these guys are beating the shit out of them. Then the cops come, don't touch any of the Japanese dudes, but beat the shit out of Slade. They know and, who's rabble-rousing here. <laughs> yeah, man, and these soccer hooligans just bringing the whole game down. Uh, sprung from jail, Sam says he couldn't find any transmissions, so whatever problems the players have must have been built right into them. Don rejects this notion and instead accuses the Italian team of malfeasance. Scan- uh, Sam is skeptical. Because this is starting to feel a bit uh, Axis. <laughs> yeah. So, even though... Uh, so, a- England is through to the semis, despite the uh, star player's poor play. Everyone's celebrating, including a bunch of hooligans who are get a paid to, to attack a Sam Slade uh, by a shadowy figure with an Italian accent. A spicy meatball. I guess we're going to send him to a Semislader's house. Yeah. Sam makes quick work of these hooligans once he wakes up, though. Uh, beats the crap out of them, basically, once he Dude, stops being groggy. Kung Fu move. Totally. <laughs> um, he then decides to uh, to investigate the Italian manager, Antipasto, who just seems to be based on an Italian stereotype instead of the actual uh, Italy coach of this time, uh, Enzo Berzat. Yep. Berzo? And- yeah. See, yeah, he seems to be an all right dude, but right as he's getting there, kids just beating the shit out of him. Well, I want to say first, Sam and Hoagie use suction cups, uh, classic Batman style, oh, yeah. to go up to climb up to his suite. But when they arrive, it looks like Kid had a similar idea because he poses a tiny bambino in a basket in front of an antipasto's door. Oh, I'll take care of you, baby. Actually, this baby's got a gun. I want Fox. I need everyone to to know that when I do my my fake Italian accent, I hold like a couple fingers up, like I'm like gesturing a lot when I do when I do well, the voice. I mean, of course, you've got to get <laughs> fully into character. I feel. Well, 
probably be offensive if you didn't. Mm. Sam arrives to find Kid interrogating the coach at gunpoint, basically just by, like, banging on him with a hammer a bunch. Um, Which, like, does that work on a robot? Doesn't seem to be. I mean, I don't think... I feel like even if I was a robot, I wouldn't want someone hitting me with a hammer a bunch, you know? Dent my casing at the very least. I'm a human, and I never want someone to hit me with a hammer. Yeah. Sam tells kids to knock it off. If they want information, they have to do it right by dismantling antipasto piece by piece. Mamma mia! I mean, everybody's doing such kind things to this dude who wanted to adopt a baby. Seriously. With the manager disassembled, Sam has found no evidence of him sabotaging the English team. Instead, it feels like an inside job. Oh. Sam starts to put the manager back together when he's interrupted by the entire Italian team. They are not pleased by this state of affairs. And in an Italian World Cup move that has echoed through time since at least 2006, Sam gets headbutted by an Italian player. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah, man. That uh, Zidane guy headbutted a dude? Anyhow. um, There were memes of it, like, you know, primitive 2006 memes of it. So the players then kick the crap out of all our guys. Um, all the Italian players are named after various pastas and stuff, except for not so Gentili, who is uh, pres- presumably named after Italian defender Claudio Gentile. Um, that's what they mean by an Italian job, I guess. Whoa. Oh, we said <laughs> some stuff, I guess. Anyhow, the boys return to the England locker room, where Sam accuses Don, who eventually admits to sabotaging the team. Uh, yeah, it's like... He instantly I, folds under pressure. <laughs> yeah, it, it's weird. And then he just blames Ron for stealing the spotlight, but like it didn't... I don't know. I didn't see the motive here. It wasn't super clear to me. Yeah, I think some of it, it might be bound in like... Um, like England England national team politics at the time, I guess. Or maybe just like, you know, they just need to get a Scooby-Doo ending in here like as, as fast as possible. Um, to, I guess just hilarious yeah. soccer antics. <laughs> yeah, well, well, there's no time to fix Kev, Bev, and the Trevs before the game. So instead, Ron has Sam Kidd and Hoagie sign temporary citizenship papers and has, and has them suit up. They're playing the bots places. Nice short, Sam. Woo! Ooh. And uh, really just love how kid gets out of this situation yeah the kids take the so the yeah, teams take the pitch and sam hoagie and sam look pretty bad in comparison to or kid hoagie and sam look, look pretty bad in comparison to the italian players uh the bryans which are the announcers of course are all very unimpressed uh kid gets smart though and immediately kicks the ref which means he gets red card and kicked off the field so he doesn't have to deal with any of this stuff oh <laughs> that was pretty smart yeah uh, Sam is less smart, and as play begins, he's immediately attacked by the entire Italian team. It's okay in the end, though, because then the entire Italian team is also sent off with red cards, so England wins in a walkover. All right. Which, like, I mean, I guess that's fine, except that, you know... He did receive... Sam, Sam got- did... Yeah. <laughs> definitely received a savage beating at the hands of the Italian team. The second time in less than 24 hours, it seems like. 
I know. God, it's just like not Sam's thing. Yeah. From his hospital bed, Sam watches the final game of the, of the World Cup where the repaired Kev, Bev, and Trevs are nonetheless beaten by a superior Brazilian team. And with that, Ron is out as manager. Who will replace him? Uh, maybe one of these Bryans that are so critical of him all the time? No way! <laughs> Don't get it, but, you know... Well, because, you know, all of, yeah, just all these announcers are also like sort of former footballers and have a lot of opinions. They're super ah. critical of Ron. So it's like, well, okay, like, you know, do, maybe one of you guys should be the coach of the uh, England team. They're like, no way. We just want to criticize things. We don't actually like, like take part in it, you know? That's, that's great. <laughs> so that's the end of the football crazy storyline. Uh, Robo Hunter will be back in Prague 292, which is right at the end of next episode with the greatest Robo Hunter story ever told. It'll be a musical, Fox, which is going to be amazing. Oh, man. God, I, I, I mean, other than the current story, I really love the weird turns that Robo Hunter just makes. It definitely. It's definitely one of these ones where it's hard to uh, know exactly how it's going to end based on how it starts, right? Exactly. Like, <laughs> oh, I guess the robot's just a psychic robot. Yeah. You know, or, you know, oh, I guess we'll, we'll have to play in the World Cup. Okay, jeez, you know. I guess this is just going to end with a massive robot-on-robot war on Virtus. Always. And hey, speaking oh. of a story's coming to an end, Fox, Ooh. it's Thrill 2. Judge Dredd. I'm gonna go right up to four on you. <laughs> four, I'm just plain mean. Uh, script robot John Wagner, Alan Grant as TB Grover. Art robot Carlos Scare, Letting robot Tom Frame. Dude, he uh, he's really into going up to four. He goes up to four a lot, yeah. So, an international... Or an interstellar, I should say, express ship makes a sudden course change as Mean Machine Angel... Up on four, unlike the cover that we'll see later where he's on three, uh, starts bocking his way through the ship, hijacking it. We also get a little bit of world building here as we learn the existence of Indosit, where one of the other passengers on the ship wants to go. It's kind of interesting. And that dude just gets smashed in the face. There's just so much bocking going on here, buddy. B-O-K is the sound of a headbutt in Judge Dredd, and I, I appreciate it. <laughs> no, I think it's actually one of the, I mean, it's not pew, pew, pew. Coming out no, of the it's an camp. evocative sound effect for sure. Uh, the exactly. ship crashes into Mega City One as Chief Judge Magruder calls off the manhunt for Fink Angel. Uh, Dredd agrees that it should be called off just because of the manpower, but he still has to worry about the weird mental stuff going on. Suddenly, Judge Hershey radios in about the crash and reports that Mean Machine Angel is once again alive. Man. Ladies do not like to wear their helmets in this series. I mean, you know, I, it, it, it's. I mean, the uh, the chief judge never ha, has never worn a helmet, right? Like Gri true. Griffin and uh, the one before him, uh, whose name I forget. They, they, they never wore helmets as a chief judge, and you know, Hershey's just taken hers off to uh, report in. You know, because it's polite for people to see your face. <laughs> When you're Judge radioing in, dread. yeah, it's dread who's the who's the who's the rude one here. <laughs> so with uh, with all these pieces adding up, dread heads down to side division where a side judge detects a ton of psychic energy going on, which dread directly identifies as coming from Owen Chrysler, the Judge Child. I I love 
just the psychic guy is just touching a triangle and going like, oh, there's some psychic shit going on. <laughs> Back on the planet Xanadu, Owen is unconcerned by Dredd figuring out his involvement, and instead he tries to put his plan into action, mind-controlling a driver to come take Mean to think. Like a true PC in a D&D game, though, Mean is not cool with all this railroading. <laughs> and instead... <laughs> Like causing the uh, the ghostly form of Chrysler to show up and yell at him for bocking everything. <laughs> Slightly chastened, Meat had to have to find his brother. <laughs> Bro, I'm trying to get you a car, and he's like, "Well, he's not gonna help me anymore." Yeah. I guess the, the driver showed up and said, "Hey, I suddenly have an urge to uh, drive you to Sector 44 or whatever." And Meat Machine's like, "Is that so?" and just box him to death <laughs> no one tells me where to go yeah and, yeah <laughs> and just shows up like i'm trying to help you out it's like uh that's not how i roll buddy nope. <laughs> anyhow mean arrives at fink's lair and is immediately tagged by the paralyzing paralyzing pison uh fink drags funny. the un <laughs> it's always good man it's always pison uh Fink drags the unconscious Mean down into his tunnel and questions him. Mean explains he's been resurrected to take down Judge Dredd. The two brothers agree to team up for revenge as Dredd gets Magruder's okay on a strike on the Judge Child using a robot crewed ship. I will say I like that uh, Fink Angel strings up Mean Machine because he's like, Cause I might kill you, but given that you're kin, I might not. So, Absolutely. you know, Use some words on me. Not a lot of loyalty among these various angels. And, and, and I guess it's true because Fink had left the family for a long time. Um, yep. He was just doing his own thing. Absolutely. So, uh, Magruder okays the uh, ship plan and Chrysler seems to overhear this yeah. and he's worried because it's not how he foresaw the death of Dread. Dude, this... Okay, so there's like this through line going on that's about to get revealed with what you're going to explain next, which mm -hmm. I think is awesome, by the way. But I love that they're sending robots to do this because he's just like yeah man we're not sending no humans let's send some robos yeah so um the grunwalder which is like you know the guy who owns um the slave owen chrysler uh, amazing he oh, cautions wow. the judge child that his own desires may have clouded his vision and he warns him that anybody who tries to push destiny around shouldn't be surprised when destiny pushes back which i really love because it's a through line for this entire comic definitely uh, so Dredd tries to get the side judges to stop the efforts of Chrysler as the Angel Boys arrive at the Rowdy Yates block where Walter and Maria are hanging out in Dredd's apartment. Mean boxes way in. Where's Dredd? Oh, man. And then things get real sexy. Yeah. The Angels are in Dredd's apartment. Walter warns that they will be wheel trouble when Dredd finds uh, out about this. Just balk him already. Mean box Walter to death! Hooray! Well, <laughs> bye, Walter. Get wrecked. The Angels grab Maria and send Dredd a message. We got your wife! This um, is amazing. Dread scrambles the judges in return. The angels are on the run. They are visited by, again by the ghostly form of the judge child who berates them for kidnapping Dredd's landlady, <laughs> but then helps them escape by causing a massive moped crash. Um, mean also butts down a huge highway overpass. Just a lot of damage being done in, in these couple pages right here. Just like... It, and it's like the parts that are actually rebuilt, and they're just like, man, yeah. this is blown up. We just rebuilt this city to jerks. <laughs> yeah, come on. Like, can't we just have a couple of days without the Finks or Fink Angel coming in 
Poisoning everybody. Just a few days of the city being destroyed is all I ask, right? <laughs> the angels escape to the sewers and they hang Maria from the ceiling. Then they send Ratty with a message for Dread. Got your wife. Dread gets the message, follower of the rat. Come alone. No tricks. They do he- love that they keep calling her, like, his wife. In <laughs> fact, I think in the last uh, comic, they actually said, like, um... Uh, of course she's his wife because she's so beautiful. It's just the sort of woman uh, that a lawman would get himself. It's like, oh, God. Uh, you know, they got their own standards of beauty, man. We can't hate on it, I, th- I think. No, it's, I, I thought it was great. Yeah. So, uh, Dredd agrees. He takes his his law mask. He drives out. His uh, his law mask is oh. taken out by an ambush by me. Me just sort of his head pops out of the ground and he, so he box the bike from there. <laughs> Dread's knocked clear, but then he's knocked. Then he gets a chin full of Fink's paralyzed and pissing. Ah, the chin, that's where he's most vulnerable. God, you know. The the brothers and rats celebrate, like, doing full-on, like, ring around the rosy dances. And they carry Dread to their lair, where they hang him beside Maria. Mean wants to go to four on him, but... Fink advises patience and a more painful death for Dread using Paws Mark One Super Scream Torture Machine. Oh man, I love just like the discussion. He actually has to pull Mean Machine back like two or three times, and then he's like, "Hey, remember that one time the Paw just like straight up murdered a guy real slow on this cool <laughs> thing?" And he's like, "Yeah, it even made Junior want to puke." And it's like, "Damn." My favorite thing is that throughout this whole thing, whenever um, whenever Fink is like, we got to get Dread for killing, like, Paw, Junior, and Link, means like, well, he killed me, too! Yes! <laughs> real great. Like, like, Fink's like, we got to kill him slow to get, like, revenge, and means like, well, he killed me, and I want to kill him fast, you know? Yeah, why is everybody who's dead get a say in this? <laughs> So, uh, Fink reluctantly agree, or Mean reluctantly agrees, but when Fink goes to get the uh, machine ready, Dread starts talking, because apparently the p- paralyzing pizzen doesn't affect the mouth. <laughs> or at least that's what he tells. <laughs> and Mean buys it. <laughs> Dread manages to trick Mean into hitting him on two, which caused him to be knocked down from being tied up and stuff, because it turned out that Dread took an antidote to the paralyzing pizzen so that he could fake getting hit and be carried down to the angel lair where he could find Maria. Always plan ahead, kids. Always. Now it's time for a showdown, so Mean Machine goes to four. And what happens? I guess just careens into a wall. Yeah, well... Dread Dodge is the first butt, but now Fink and Ratty have arrived on the scene of the torture machine. Ratty attacks Dread, and a single bite from this cursed earth rat means death, but Dread manages to deflect the beast and is instead hit by Fink's quick killing pizzen ball. No, Ratty! <laughs> mean takes another, or t- takes another go at Dread. He wants Dread to eat four, but instead he ends up eating floor. Karate chop! Ah! Fink attacks Dread now, only his badge saves him from Fink's poison mace, and then the eldest angel son bites his skeletal teeth into Dread's shoulder. Dread does a uh, Captain Kirk-style double fist punch, which knocks Fink into the torture machine, which seems to kill him. 
Yeah, I feel like that's a 100% definitely Fink's dead situation. I mean, they don't talk about him afterwards, so I have to, you, you, you got to assume he's dead. Uh, yep. Mean is arrested and taken away the cube. They do those that, that thing where they got, like, the neck collar around him, and a <laughs> bunch of dudes have, like, sticks to, like, keep him at, at range and stuff like that. It's pretty awesome. I mean, um, he's going to balk you. You get too close. Definitely. Meanwhile, Maria is is uh, revived and taken away by Medbots, and she quits working for Dread. Hooray! No more Italian racist stereotype. I want to say that this is the end of Maria and Walter's appearance in Judge Dredd for the foreseeable future. Oh. Oh my god, really? Yeah. I've got to get a drink and celebrate this. This is a momentous occasion. We will never have to double you again. Well, let me... Oh, well, you know, there's still some stuff, but let me... Let's finish up and then let's talk about it for a second. Um, So... Back on Xanadu, Owen Chrysler is incensed. He foresaw the angels bringing death and destruction, fire and flame to dread. What's wrong? Gun Grunwalder has an answer. Yeah. Um, it turns out that, in fact, perhaps the judge child is foreseeing his own death. The Justice Department ship piloted by robots arrives on Xanadu and fires two missiles targeting uh, the Judge Child. Grunwalder casts Owen Chrysler out, awaiting his destiny. Chrysler laments this. The destiny is steer him wrong when the missiles find their target. He's definitely dead, FYI. The Judge Child's final word is, this can't be happening. It's all wrong. And then he perishes in a fiery explosion. It's pretty rough. Like, you see his body vaporizing and stuff. It's pretty rough. It's great. Back in Mega City 1, Dread receives the news and continues on patrol. Next time, rabid. (laughs) Dude, he doesn't even, like, say anything. He's Mm -hmm. just like, okay. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I I, want to say sort of going back to what we were saying before, um, with the Apocalypse War, they did a lot of... Um, we, we've seen them sort of trying to really kind of just do some big moves to kind of get Dread to where they want to be. And part of it's making the city a little bit smaller and more controllable and stuff, but also it's removing some of the sillier parts of Judge Dread. You know, we saw that with, uh, with the monkey dudes getting, or the ape guys getting, um, wiped out in the annual. Uh, we see it now with removing Maria and Walter from Judge Dread's life, you know. And also of tying up the loose end of the judge child of just, you know, like settling him and so that he's not sort of waiting in the background whenever something else happens, you know? Fair. Like, I think it's really interesting and just sort of how they're, you know, positioning things to kind of get them maybe not like a full clean slate with Judge Red, but a little bit more of a clean slate to sort of start telling stories from here out, you know? Yeah. Well, that's kind of neat. I think I mean, it's int- like, yeah, yeah. I think it's just interesting in a, in a way of uh, letting them sort of settle things. Um, and also, yeah, just I feel like it, it, it really means that uh, Grant and Wagner feel like they have control of this character. And so they're taking out some of the uh, things that, that other people might have made that, that are sort of hanging around, I guess. Mm. Or to okay. sort of, not, you know, not have things hanging over them. But I think it's going to, you know, this is sort of a mark of an interesting period for Judge Dredd. I think a real classic period, actually. Um, I'm really looking forward to what, to what we're going to get in the coming years, for sure. I'm just glad there wasn't so much fanfare for either of them. I'm just, you know, I mean, honestly, like, I, 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 I found Walter to be humorous just at, because he's so annoying and I hate him so much. Uh. <laughs> but I am sad to see him go. I believe we'll still get some Walter stuff. 
like sure. I don't I don't want to say he's not going to show up, especially in like annuals and specials and stuff. Oh yeah, but um, you know, especially in the main line, we're sort of towards the end of, or you know, of a regular Walter. You know, these things might come back every once in a while. It's interesting to see what it happens, but yeah, yeah, sure. For the most part, it's gone. Ray. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of even more storylines ending, Fox, it's Thrill 3 Ace Trucking. So, script robot Alan Grant John, and John Wagner as Grant Grover, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, uh, lettering robot Steve Potter. It's D&D time! Yeah, so on the planet Cloystar, everyone thinks Ace is God, the great Garpo, and he's got to do a series of prophecies or be killed as a false god. Which, with how this wraps up, I'm like, uh, anyway. Yeah. But so, but now he might get killed anyway because the next prophecy is that he's got to slay a dragon, and the dragon doesn't look very pleased about it. No, in fact, uh, the dragon's burping up fire, he's yelling at people. Yeah. Uh, he wants people to get toasted, thinks that they're twerps, <laughs> just seeming like kind of like a dude It's not having a great day. Yeah, well, luckily, instead of just bashing away at the beast, Ace takes the unusual step of talking to the dragon. <laughs> that we learn... Which... <laughs> yeah, we learn that the dragon is in a terrible mood because the constant furnace that burning inside lets him breathe fire also makes him extremely uncomfortable. Just, just to, for the permanent record... Every time I have encountered a dragon in a D&D campaign, I attempt to converse with it. That's a good, always a good pl- uh, uh, plan, I think. So, yeah. Um, it, yeah, so basically Ace has an idea. He and the crew rig up a giant refrigerator that the, that the dragon can hang out in, cooling its massive body. In return, the dragon and Ace play act a slaying and the prophecy is fulfilled. But now it's time for the final prophecy, Fox. The great Garpo's head will be severed from his body. Which, why even threaten him with death the entire time? Oh, no, not McGurney. (laughs) It just just seems so strange to me that, Mm -hmm. like, the threat of death is constantly there. And then they're just like, oh, but I mean, you're going to die anyway. Well, I mean, no, because he's going to put his head back on. That's the thing. Oh, that's um, right. You know, and and it's not and as opposed to being sort of speared to death, in this case, Ace and all of his buddies will be beheaded with a sacred handsaw, which looks oh, like a pretty terrifying way to cut to cut somebody's head off. Honestly, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just like an old saw that you would use for a tree, where you need two guys what to cut exactly. Yeah, like you know, don't don't hacksaw my head off, please. Of all the ways you you could remove it, <laughs> how are they going to get out of this here pickle? Well, luckily, Ace once again has a plan. Um, he sends oh, the no. pig rat to the ghost um, to put it into action. As the group oh. is led to the blocks to have their heads cut off, um, you know, and again, um, eventually start their open world adventures through Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> You like that joke. I appreciate that. I I fucking love that joke. You like it in the the Dread Annual, too. It's pretty funny. Um, (laughs) Anyhow, a voice cries out, I say thee nay! And in the sky... I love this. I love this because there's payoff for something that was like like maybe a prog. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's the terrifying form of the great Garpo himself, a giant Ace Garp, and clearly a real god. He orders Ace's disciples, quote-unquote, kicked off the planet, and if anybody objects, he'll smite them good. So listen to me, butthole. 
<laughs> Naturally, this all turns out to be the Speedo, go- the Speedo Ghost using its hollow projector, which we saw right at the start of this story. It's just lasering onto the surface of the planet. Yeah, and our boys are able to get the hens to safety. The ship flies off, and Garpo has a uh, parting message to the people of Cloistar, which is just a big uh, space raspberry, you know, like that. Which, all right. <laughs> Anyhow, I was boiling down the main line, burning Jekyll uh-huh. by the mill. There was hordes of creepy jeepies on my back. But I didn't give a shug, and I speeded up my lug, and left them blubbed out jeepies, oh, and left those blubbed out jeepies sucking back. Yeehaw! Ace sang that song in the annual two. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So he's like keeping consistent with his favorite. Lugger tunes. Clearly. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't help him when he's going way too fast in an 80-rat zone and gets pulled over by Croxley and Zagger, his nemesis creepy jeepies, as we start this new Ace Truckin' story. I mean, this guy, I mean, he just speeds all the dang time. It's true. Ace is arrested and taken to traffic court, where the space cops ask the court to give Ace the maximum sentence instead of just a fine as an example. And this, of course, sets him off and basically perjures himself. Yeah, he blows his lid and he says that, like, that would just be payback for all the times that he broke the law and then escaped scot-free. And you guys are jerks for being for the retribution of that. (laughs) Which, uh, better times and better places, man. Yep. He's, uh, as a result, damned by his own words, the uh, court sentenced him to the maximum fine, which which is like five days in prison, basically. Um, yeah, the, the, um, oh, sorry, one week's imprisonment. Yeah. So this means that because Harry 20's already going, um, in, in, in other parts of the Prague, we've got two characters in space prison this month. Always fun. <laughs> Ace is taken away to Bidewe, which is a giant column on top of an asteroid, uh, for a space prison where Warden Warden bonks Ace on his head <laughs> and gets him stripped, deloused, and dressed in far too baggy prison clothes. I love the de-lousing. They're just, just like louses jumping off his body. Yeah, space fleas being like, abandoned ship! <laughs> With a few extra whacks, Ace is in, is in his cell, and he notes that this place is sure easy with the Gurna Grease. Man, they, uh... I, I like the idea of him being in jail. <laughs> Luckily, he's only there for a short haul, Fox. Next time, the Ballad of Gator McGee. What the fuck? All right. Yeah, you'll see. You know, uh, well, you know, basically, he's got a cellmate who's like who's 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 like a Gator dude. His name's Gator McGee. You know, seems pretty basic to me. Is he like that crocodile dude from Batman? Um, yeah, he's kind of Killer Crocky, I guess. But he's Killer more he's boring. more like um like was it who's that like one of those Hanna Barbera um guys that's like a Gator that like oh, helps solve crimes? Uh, uh, Jabberjaw. <laughs> No, okay, so that was definitely um, a shark. Oh, that's uh, right. His name was Wally Gator. Mm, sort of more of a Wally Gator, I'd say. Oh, man, <laughs> Wally Gator. That's been a long fucking time. Yeah. And speaking of, um, I don't Wally know. Wally Gator. Oh, yeah, c- cooling, our, cooling our heels a little bit in space prison or other things. It's uh, time for Non-Thrills, Covers, Nerve Center, and Pop Culture Robots. Whoa, I've got 
some things to say. So we start with Prog 284. Howdy, this Howdy. here's a hot jack. <laughs> yeah, he's a three. Yeah, Me Machine's gone for three in this lovely Carlos Escara cover. In the Nerve Center, Tharg Trooper lets us know we're getting free stickers with this prog that go into an album that comes with this week's Tiger. You can also buy more from your newsagent for 6p for a pack and then 25p for some more albums to put them in, I guess, unless you live overseas, in which case, uh, tough swimming. Yeah, <laughs> deal with it, I guess. Yeah. Letters lament Feek's death, which luckily he didn't actually die, and they object to an ad for Action Man, which tell, told us to stop reading comics and go to your toy store to buy Action Man. Which... <laughs> All right, buddy. Yeah. It, oh, it, oh, there's, there's also a letter that rates the thrill power of recent stories. The art gets at least a 9 out of 10, though the Robo Hunter Philby case and the Ace Trucking Jubilee story got very poor story readings, which I don't know if I agree with. I like the yes. Jubilee story. Yeah, the Jubilee stories are great. Like, it was not a, a 1 out of 10, I'd say. Um, no. Then this prog ends with the second page of the Robo Hunter poster featuring a Robo T Rex, the Don Droid, and the Big Brain. Yay! I like those things. Yeah. In 285, Robo Hunter goes football crazy as the boys are swarmed by a mass of Japanese fans in an Ian Gibson cover that I don't think gets reprinted or shown in collections nearly as much as the ones around it. <laughs> Um, in the Nerve Center, Benny Tharg, which is a reference to the character Benny Hawkins in the British soap opera Crossroads. Okay. Um, but he plugs the story Charlie's War, which is currently appearing in Battle Comics. Uh, Charlie's War was written by Pat Mills with art by uh, Joe uh, Coquan, I want to say. And it's a real classic of British war comics, actually. It's about uh, this guy and his experience sort of in World War One and stuff, and it's really awesome. Um, I've been reading a couple chapters of it, and it's highly recommended. Oh, cool. Yeah, letters call out the cucaracha system as sounding a lot like Spanish for cockroach, or for cockroach, I should say. Um, uh, a, a reader suggests Tellurian as a term for humans, and another requests a 2000 AD stamp. And just as a follow-up, there was a 2080 stamp made in 2012 as part of a commemoration for 75 years of British comics. There was also, like, it just had a bunch of popular British magazines, and there was actually one for Eagle that had a Dandare on it. Huh. All right. Yeah, mid-prod, there's a bunch of uh, Dread parodies. Yes. I like Big Judge Hungry the most. Yes. Because that's a cool Flesh 2 reference. <laughs> yes. It's real awesome. Uh, Judge Egg is also pretty classic, just in terms of these uh, uh, Dread versions. Yep. And this prog ends with the part three of the poster, with Hoagie, the robot boots, and the T-Max on display. Also, Sam Slate's crotch. Indeed. Hey, it's got to be somewhere. <laughs> in 286, we got your wife, Dread. Fink Angel and Ratty threaten Dread in a fun Ascara cover. In the Nerve Center, Pac Tharg tells us yeah. he'll reveal Project Triple X in the pages of the Prog. Bibio um, James. I love those. <laughs> Pac-Man fever. Um, also, a letter mentions that Nemesis's group is called the Cabal, and that that term comes from the reign of King Charles II, where a bunch of ministers did secret stuff, and their initials also spelled out the word Cabal. Oh, um, but well, I like, learned something today. Well, like a lot of things, Fox, um, 
or I should say a lot of historical things that involve acronyms, this is probably just sort of a, po- a, uh, a post-historical thing of a uh, bunk that just sort of, you know, was just convenient, basically. Because oh. the word cabal actually comes from the uh, from the Kabbalah, like a common Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it, 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 it's like how people say, like, 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 fuck stands for, like, fornication under consent of king or something like that. Yeah, that's not true. Where, yeah, like, usually when things, when, whenever there's a word and it's supposed to historically be an acronym for something, like, you should just, that should ping your, your BS detectors. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> BS, which originally stood for a Benjamin Shelton, who was a famous liar in the time of George Washington. No, not wow. really. <laughs> not really. You're, you're great. <laughs> um, Project Triple X turns out to be a Judge Dread board game made by yeah. future Warhammer Makers Games Workshop. It's, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's just a nice uh, connection there to future to current Conrad things. <laughs> it's nice. full of Dread art, and it seems pretty interesting. It's pretty rare these days, but I did manage to find some reviews of it on the internet, and they and they seem to describe it as a pretty decent game. All right, then. Toward the end of the prog, there's a big set of alien drawings, including one called Doc Martin, who has giant unshod feet, which doesn't seem very on brand, and an Obrian carnivore that is clearly an the Umber Hulk from the first edition D&D Monster Manual with a horn and some spikes added, and this will be called out in future prog as well. <laughs> I like the Snozzle Snooker, personally. I like that guy, and the winged Cytovan, which is the Space Angel guy. Yeah, man. Down. The final page of the Robo Hunters uh, poster feature features Kami organizer Molotov, sad deceased Mo- uh, Robo meter Cutie, and gen- uh, Generals One and Two from Virtus, and of course Carlos Robo Stogie. Yeah. Prog two eighty seven imprisoned one hundred miles above Earth with no hope of escape. Harry twenty on the high rock begins. The new Alan Davis cover featuring Harry Twenty, the guard thrower, and Warden World, Worldwise. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. This this feels like a nineteen eighties fucking like movie, like a B movie VHS. I love. I I I I I want to say it here, and I'll say it again that I love the geese that they make uh, all the prisoners. Yeah. There. <laughs> um. In the nerve, um, in the nerve center, it's a very musical nerve center. As John Thargo Lennon introduces um, Harry Twenty, and then there's letters explaining who the heck Frank Zappa is, which Thargo admits that he was, you know, trolling about basically. All right. There's also a picture of uh, the genetic uh, instrumentalist, which is basically a rogue, uh, rogue J- Jimi Hendrix trooper, mm-hmm. and these ra- these rag boy three. With the dictators of Zrag looking like the band uh, Fun Boy Three. There's actually a Jimi Hendrix uh, shout out episode, kind of of Rogue Trooper this run. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Mid Prog Pop Culture Robot Specs shows up with a bunch of book reviews, including two volumes of the best of Arthur C. Clarke, a humor book about aliens, which includes an interview with Tharg the Mighty, and a book about my- microcomputing. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, towards the end of the prog, there was a contest to win a full-size signed version of the Robo Worlds posters, but to get it, you have to answer some extremely easy sci-fi robot questions. Good luck to entrants. <laughs> All right, then. Yeah, this prog ends with another droid pinup, this time of Bert. 
Um, mm. Robin Smith did this one, but I think they, they did a better job than the one of D. Mill because it's you know it shows Bert's office and it's real messy with like progs um everywhere and Bert knocking a cup of tea into a trash bin bin and stuff like that. He's real clumsy. Yeah, that Bert um uh, prog two eighty eight. Eat four, lawman. Carlos Escara does a cover for the finale of Destiny's Angels. We've got a half-size nerve center this week, as most of the page is taken up by an ad for Your Computer Magazine, mm. which is including a, an interview with the Steve Jobs of his time, Clive Sinclair, the Sin- Sinclair ZX81 or whatever. Huh. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Roy Tharg, that's Roy Tharg of the Rovers, I presume, uh, um, just mentioned the new Ace Trucking story, and letters suggest going to jumble sales and conventions to find cheap sci-fi novels in back issues of 2000 AD. Mid-Prog, there's a Robin Smith pinup of Specs, who's reading and taking notes on a book on uh, Beetlejuicean, and you can mm-hmm. clearly see this year's Dread and 2000 AD annuals in his book pile as well. Perfection. I mean, a- hey, even Specs needs some thrill power. <laughs> That's true. There's also a page of gruesome fan art, including some cool deviant spotters by a kid mm-hmm. named Stumpy Allen, uh, a Strontium Dog Judge Death ma- uh, mashup, and a very handsome-looking machine. Also an ad for Buster that talks about Galaxis, a friendly alien from the days before E.T. <laughs> Which, really? You, you know, know uh, weird, weird offside story. Yeah. One time, I was in my uh, library in my elementary school because Mm -hmm. uh, I liked to read a lot more as a small child than when I was a teenager. You don't have to explain yourself to me, buddy. Listen, (laughs) man, context is key. I I loved E.T. And there was a, there was a book there that was basically E.T. too. And it was about like him being on his planet and all this other stuff post and then Hmm. do random cuts to, uh, to Elliot's life back on earth. It was pretty weird. I guess if you wanted some, just some extra background on what happened after. Well, if you if you want some extra ET stuff, Fox, you want to stay tuned until uh, May of 1983 when we start the story Skiz, which is Alan Moore's take on ET, and it's going to be real good. Oh man, cool. I can't I'm down. It's going to be real good. That's not like sarcastic <laughs> or anything like that. Like I I really like Skiz. Um, oh, that's great. But speaking of of uh, stories continuing onward, Fox. Oh hell yeah! Thrill four, Rogue Trooper. Man, some cool developments this time around, and yeah. some interesting character development. Totally. Uh, script robot Jerry Finley Day, art robots Cam Kennedy and Colin Wilson, letting robot Bill Nuttall. So, Rogue Trooper is at the mercy of the Trader General at the Marauder base. Gunner has been taken by Morgan, the black-visored expert Nort sniper, and Rogue is taken away as the Trader General begins his monologue. <laughs> and I, I guess, like, biochips can't just revolt in some way? Like, they won't, I don't know, like, well, Bagman can't stop himself from being opened. I mean, Helm's pretty yeah. much I mean, like, whatever. like, like but Bagman's got those servo arms, but I feel like he can't do that much to stop people from just reaching into him and stuff. That's um, fair. In his monologue, the Trader General explains how, you know, 
He was the commandant of Glasshouse G, which Rogue destroyed. Um, this discredited him in the eyes of Nort High Command, and he was passed over for a role in the Dixie Offensive. In response, he killed a Nort Marshal and led a bunch of freed POWs to hide in this crashed satellite where they run the Marauders. Which, hey, all right then. Yeah, monologue complete. Rogue tries to uh, break free, but the general was actually waiting for him for when his speech ended. <laughs> <laughs> and he hits in, Rogue in with an a stun act shot. That you rarely ever see after a monologue. It's true. He knows that because he's monologuing, Rogue will now try to break free. So he sort of takes advantage of that effect. <laughs> Smart villain. Rogue's gear is spread out among the Marauders, and Rogue himself is strapped spread eagle to what to o- can only be described as a supervillain torture device. <laughs> it really is. Comes with like ten different lasers. I think it's like actually like a laser surgery table, but man, it's just designed for you to strap somebody to and then you know say I expect you to die as you laser them. Basically, it's real good. So Rogue is trapped in this Bonville device. The lasers go on. The torture begins. Meanwhile, Rogue stuff is shared out among the Marauders. While Hel- Helm and Bagman are not pleased by this. Um, Gunner, now in the hands of expert sniper Morgan, is kind of stoked to be learned to be used as an implement of death and destruction. <laughs> yeah, he's like kind of into it and was pretty impressed by the dude's abilities to shoot. Yeah, Rogue, his body weakened by the torture and his mind weakened by his friend's apparent disloyalty, passes out causing the traitor general to leave, also Bond villain style. Uh, the Marauders come in to gloat, and as they do, Bagman slips something to Rogue using his servo arms. <gasps> it's a laser pen. Pencil. Yeah, pencil laser. This allows Rogue Just to break there. free from the laser table um, and also use part of that table to break a window, which allows chem clouds to come into the base and kill all the guards and stuff. More on this table later. <laughs> His guards killed. Rogue escapes into the jungles surrounding the base as the traitor general has Morgan kill those screw-ups because you got to kill your own guys to establish your evilness. Absolutely. And then Morgan heads out with a few others aboard, uh, like, you know, hoppers, which are these, like, sort of co- hover ships, to mm. hunt down Rogue, and they're going to use Gunner, Bagman, and Helm to do it. Which, all right, then. I don't know how much help Helm's going to be, but he's there. Man, Helm does his part. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, for us, but, like, for them? I don't know. Do? Rogue hides in a chem jungle and several marauder hoppers, led by Morgan with Gunner and Bagman, um, and a pilot wearing helm come after him. Rogue manages to take down one of the shooters on the hopper by with another piece of the torture machine <laughs> that was still attached to him. Throws it so hard it explodes his head. It's all, Well, I mean, all these guys have like, these glass domes on their head, you know? Yeah, bad choice. They're in a uh, in an explodey kind of situation. <laughs> so the uh, the Marauders are zeroing in on him. Helm tries to sway the loyalty of the Hopper pilots. Uh, Morgan stops tr- starts dropping random items out of Bagman onto Rogue, and he zeroes in for a kill shot with Gunner, where the pilot cuts Morgan's harness, and he Morgan falls to the earth and dies. Oh God! He, what happened? Rogue recovers his gear and talks to the Hopper. It's now the two of them versus the Marauder Force. 
Oh, hell yeah. Let's <laughs> the, fight some dudes. Or yeah, I fu- guess maybe not. Well, I mean, the final prog has some pretty good action, actually, as the Marauder pilot named Player ambushes some other Marauder hoppers. And with a combination of players' fancy flying and rogue surface-to-air missiles, they're able to take down the Marauder force. With the enemies beaten the two-part ways, uh, players taking helm with him as payment for services rendered, the other chips object, but Rogue says that to stop player after he's helped them so much would be dishonorable. So Rogue now intends to return to the Marauder base and take out the Traitor General, but the, tra- but the General is ready for this! Oh yeah, like any evil villain, he's got a base auto-destruct! Yeah. Well, he's got, you know, he's got the base's defense systems all manned, but he knows that Rogue will probably be able to defeat those. So instead, he's got his secret ace, which is, of course, yes, the base self-destruct system, which he'll blow when, you know, Rogue shows up, probably. Next time, itchy fingers. Which is, like, probably the sign of something not good going on with your body, buddy. I mean, or that you just want to shoot somebody or something like that, you know, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> but hey, speaking of uh, shedding skin, Fox, and something that wasn't recorded for um, listeners, but you and I find quite humorous, uh. <laughs> it's through five future shocks. And we're going to cover continues. Tharg the Mighty in here as well. Um, so first we've got Tharg the Mighty in The Shedding with art robot Eric Bradbury, letting robot Steve Potter. Hey, man, those... Dictators of Zrag still fucking things up. That's right. They're using an animated shed skin of Tharg to run 2000 AD into the ground. They make uh, the Bellardinelli droid draw Ace Trucking as stick figures. They force uh, Alan, the Alan Morbot to consult with Bert to depower his future shocks. And they replace uh, Judge Dredd with Death Planet. No! This is possibly the worst thing to have ever happened. Uh, the Zrags answer letters telling kids to go buy some other comic instead of 2000 AD. It's pretty bad. The uh, Tom Frame droid goes to complain and is, in, and is instead chastened for not putting enough spelling mistakes into the progs and then is sent uh, to Mechquake. Who then, like, I guess just destroys him. I mean, we've definitely had Mechquake appear a bunch in the 2000 AD offices for, and destroying various uh, droids that got things mixed up, you know? Yep. That's what happened to the Aldrich Mark I, for God's sake. <laughs> As the dictators further try to kill the comic by censoring a bunch of panels, Tharg himself awakes from the shedding and begins the re-greening process to get back up to full power. As 2080 sales um, die out... The Zrags decide to rub it in Tharg's face, and they fly off in King's Reach Tower, um, shoving all the droids into a closet. Over Jupiter, they lower a fishing hook and grab Tharg by the belt, reeling him into the ship. Most on Zarjaz. <laughs> Super on Zarjaz, grabbing a dude by his pants with a hook. It's true. So captured by the Zrags, uh, Tharg is locked in a special room, which eventually the droids investigate. I also see the McMahon bot here in the crowd, though he doesn't have any lines. (laughs) Mm. The droids pick the locks and find the real Tharg pickled. Oh, he's in a jar. And I think this might be a reference to a time when, like, the higher-ups didn't want that picture of the judge being pickled during by the Cleggs during the Judge Cal saga, I think. Oh, this interesting. Might, yeah, 
It could be a reference to that. I don't know. Um, the droids free Tharg and they use chlorine gas to get them back up to full green power. And then Tharg is able to break free and wreck shop. <laughs> nice. The dictators hide from Tharg in the room full of chlorine gas, which erases all the features off of their faces. Yeah, not good. I guess it's just for him. The uh, the terrifying blank-headed dictators of Zrag are dropped back home, where the hag of Zrag chases them around with a giant straight razor, and now I'm going to have nightmares. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, the last time I saw a giant straight razor like that, that was in, like, Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool, but also freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really like Eric Bradbury's use of all the different creative droids we've seen so far. It really just kind of gives you some continuity with the different uh, Thark the Mighty stories we've seen and stuff. Yeah, I agree. I like the Tom Frame droid. Yeah, man, Tom Frame droid's good droid, buddy. <laughs> Next true. up in Future Shocks, we've got Beware the Men in Black. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, script robot Dave Perry, art robot Jesus Rodondo, letting robot Tony Jacob. Um, this story. Is- yeah, there's two future shocks in Prague 286. The first what? one is about a man who's been taking who's seen taking pictures of a UFO and now fears that he'll be erased by government men in black. He's telling all this to a trusted friend as men in dark suits suddenly arrive at the derelict building he's hiding in. Oh man, they're trying to get him. Yeah, the man tries to climb out a window to escape them, but instead falls and dies. The men in black turn out to be solicitors from a law firm. Apparently, the man's uncle has died, and he stood to inherit three quarters of a million pounds. But what's to be done? He's dead. I guess nothing. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the become an alien. Yeah, the friend he's been telling all this to turns out to actually be a shape-changing alien who was there to shut him up. But luckily, his paranoia did the job for him. And I just think it's funny seeing these kind of things. Like, talk about Men in Black, like, before the Will Smith movie or before the Matrix mm. and stuff. It just kind of makes it be like, oh, yeah, like, you're doing all this work to explain this thing that would later just be, have become 100% sort of pop culture shorthand, you know? Oh, absolutely. It's like when there's things where something, like, tries to explain the internet in, like, the early 90s, you know? Like, oh, connected computers, what do you mean? Like, it's this thing called the internet, information superhighway, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> The World or, Wide Web, the yeah. net. Or like the uh, the Michael Mann movie Manhunter, where they have a non-Anthony Hopkins guy playing uh, H- H- Hannibal Lecter, you know? You know I haven't seen Manhunter? Oh, it's good. Yeah, um, I hear that. I saw someone actually showed me a trailer for it this last week, so that's real weird. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I, I would recommend it if you're sort of into, like, yeah, the sort of like psychological thrillers with a kick-in um, synthesizer soundtrack, you know? I'm down. The next story is Sid. Script robot Alan Grant is Stavros. Art robot Brett Ewins. Letting robot Tony Jacob. So this is kind of a, just a fun, quick future shock. As giant yep. alien Sid arrives on a Tuesday, wanders the planet, does some tests, and eventually pulls out a giant flute and begins to play a jaunty tune. The music causes all the Earthlings to dance and eventually fly into the air and into the hold of Sid's ship, where they are humanely dispatched. It's the uh, cosmic pest control. That's right. Yeah, it turns out, I, I guess he shows up um, he, he shows up at Earth every few million years to clean up all the life and stuff on it. The humans were easier than the dinosaurs, but harder than the rats. The smiling planet Earth says, thanks, Sid, as Sid flies away. All right. <laughs> Cute. The final story is War Games. Script robot also Alan Grant Stavros. Art robot Jim Eldridge. Letting robot Pete Knight. 
We see two guys in the war simulation center. They have a plan. They'll uh, launch every nuke the U.S. has as a first strike, prompting an all-out response by the commies. Then the U.S. will deploy its badass gravitational force field. So when the nukes hit, it will destroy the Earth completely. But the force field will maintain the U.S. in one piece, along with Canada and maybe Mexico. And the new planet America will find a stable orbit around the sun. Good times. Can you guess how this one ends? Suddenly, one of the men, who turns out to be a little kid named Ronnie, gets pulled out of his secret base by his irate mother. You'll never become president if you spend your time playing these silly games! Let's hope not. Let's just hope she's right, because, you know, Ronnie and Ronald Reagan and people being afraid of nuclear war at the time, stuff like that. Oh, that was more on the nose than I thought it was. Oh, it's super, super duper on the nose. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, you see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I uh, all right. Future shocks are okay. I, I'm like they did I really the job. Get to, yeah, they were just it's more. It's uh, just like padding in between you and me talking about the coolest shit in this. I mean, book. it's definitely especially when in '86 where there's two future shocks. That definitely means I, if, I, whenever there's two future shocks, I think it means it's sort of like someone messed up a deadline or something like that. Yeah, you know? man. Like they like you know, like they're so like all right let's just toss some more future shocks in there because we don't have the specific stories we want. But speaking I, of new stories, Fox, yeah, Thrill Six, Harry Twenty on the High Rock, oh, hell yeah. script robot Jerry Finley Day, art robot Alan Davis, letting robot Tony Jacob of magical flying Caltrop in the sky. <laughs> Is it a prison or a place to send doomed loved ones? I mean, it could be a couple things. But yeah, New Thrill, Fox, this is the first new thrill of, of 1982, and indeed the first new thrill since Ace Trucking showed up in fall of 81. Um, you know, we've had other things start and restart, but those have all been like old oh, thrills great. restarting and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I love prison yeah, stories, Fox, so I'm a big... You. Yeah, no, well, you know, we should definitely discuss more at the spinnies for sure. But yeah, 82 has not had very much sort of innovation, I want to say. Maybe not innovation, but it's been very solid in terms of like just, you know, we've had sort of a couple things end and then things come back and stuff like that. But there hasn't been like here's a a lot of like here's sort of a cool story or even just here's something that runs for like just a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like except for nemesis which was just 12 weeks or so everything else has been has run all year pretty much you know yeah regularly scheduled programming kind of yeah, thing yeah definitely except you know i mean mean arena ends and this is what's taking mean arena's place basically i also um, like prison stories which yeah. is why i got real excited about this yeah, I love, yeah, I like prison. I like sci-fi prison even more. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what, what's that, uh, Christopher Lambert movie, uh, Fortress? That's really good. Um, Cube. Yeah, Cube, uh, Lockout. I feel, um, a couple people have mentioned that to me recently, which is a great, um, recent, um, Guy Pierce, like, die hard on a, uh, space prison satellite mm-hmm. movie which basically everybody in harry 20 and the high rock is constantly lockouting fox i can't I, even like mention it specifically <laughs> dude i can't uh like i still sort of count parts of riddick in this because they go to he goes to like two space prisons in that movie oh that's true yeah that's that's a good point actually and they are cool space prisons man yeah this uh, this story is also Alan Davis's first work here, 2000 AD, um, and most of his stuff is either Harry Twenty or Dr. and Quinch, which I'm super stoked for, but, but we won't get until sort of spring of '83. 
I'd say Davis is a pretty versatile art style. The, um, I think it does a good job of both sort of the real, the uh, ridiculous sci-fi aspects we get and some of the more personal interactions between characters. Um, Finley, uh, Jerry Finley Day is great writing this. The narration's kind of interesting just because it's told in this weird second person present narration, you know? Yeah. Like, you, Harry 20, you've come aboard this space station, you know? Yeah. It's, it's neat. Like, yeah. I, I, my favorite thing is how he makes adversaries appear. Like, yeah. Almost all guards are generally faceless with visors. But the ones that you really don't like have, like, obvious features, including my favorite name I think I will ever be able to say, Warden Worldwise. <laughs> oh, you, Who is Warden Worldwise is great, man. Evil. Has anyone looked more evil than Warden Worldwise with, like, his eye patch and his scar and stuff? Oh, dude, is definitely Dracula cape. He looks like he came out of that supervillain school from that one Alan Moore future shot. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. <laughs> but yeah, like so, <laughs> totally. Um, so anyhow, it's 2060, the year is 2060. The High Rock is a badass uh, satellite space prison in orbit around um, Earth. Its newest inmate is Harry Thompson, sentenced to 20 years for smuggling food to the Equatorial Zone. There's some 1984 references here with war, like saying that they're at war with Oceania and stuff. Um, but Harry is sentenced. Yeah. Oh, so go, go ahead. Well, so he, so he didn't do it for profit either, although they're swearing yeah. it on him like he did. He was doing it for free. Yeah. Those people were starving, man. You guys should be doing your job. Nah, instead he's sentenced to 20 years, and thus his name is changed to Harry 20, which is the, the length of his sentence. Yep. He's put aboard a ship with a bunch of other prisoners, uh, a.k.a. Numbers, and arrives at the High Rock, which, like Fox says, looks like a caltrop, or I like kind of two cubes smashed together, basically. Oh, yeah. Don't step um, on it. Or- nope. Do not step on the high rock. On the on the outside, numbers are forced to maintain the ship, chipping ice off the waste vents exposed to cosmic rays. We meet Thrower, the chief guards. All the guards here were these weird, um, like nose covering football helmets, I guess. Yeah. But there's two rules: do what the guards tell you, and don't escape. Which Yeek. I would feel like don't try to escape. Would be mm. the operative. Yeah. Like, don't escape. Is like, if they do, then what are you going to do, man? That's fair. <laughs> I, I, I think it does end up being don't try because the guy next to Harry Paco breaks rule two <laughs> and is killed for it right away. Damn. He and is then, like shot right through the fucking everything. Yeah. Meanwhile, Harry objects to this and is beaten because he was breaking rule one. <laughs> Um, and uh, it's good to make a lesson out of somebody. Yeah, Harry is dragged to his cell as we meet Warden Worldwise, who, uh, who, as Fox said, is the most cartoonishly evil guy you've ever seen. <laughs> Harry heads to his cell, resolving he, to break out of this stinking prison. He literally walks up in the shadows and is like, Chief God's Thrower, precisely what are you doing? Warden Worldwise! Then he... Th- so, Thrower then painstakingly... Uh, describes like, oh, this guy ran away, so we shot him. And then this guy was getting some uppity lips, so we smacked him in the face with an electro stick. And Worldwise is just very well, carry on. Yeah, it's just like, (laughs) oh, good work, you know. Uh, Like, that, no, no comment other than... He's so evil! Yeah, 
Definitely. He's definitely, you know, as much as a thrower as a big brutish guy, you know, worldwise is just an evil guy. He co-signs all evil actions. He's an enabler. <laughs> yeah. He's a huge enabler. As Paco's body is taken away, Harry meets his cellmate, Genghis 18, a Mongolian who's here on a trumped-up charge when he refused to sell his, family, his family's land. They're tossed the in their cell. Mustache and mutton chops. Yeah, he's got a very like sort of a, uh, a Genghis Khan look, actually. <laughs> They're tossed in with their cellmate Ben Ninety, who was the first Khan put in the High Rock. He's and that a, might be the last. <laughs> he's got a huge beard, claw-like nails, and a clear case of the space crazies. <laughs> <laughs> but he also knows the prison extremely well, uh, warning the others with the arrival of a pusser, a guard yeah, who he hates... Can tell, he can oh. tell who is coming by the sound they make when they're walking. It's awesome. Yeah. The yeah. guard hates uh, slants, quote-unquote, like Genghis. Oh, man, real bad. And puts like, him on punishment duty. Yeah, this guy's not a good guy. Um, like later at me- later on at mess time, Harry sees Genghis preparing a shank pusser, but uh, punches Genghis in the face instead to distract the guards and stuff. Harry just beaten. says, "I don't like him because he said something bad." And then the then the guards just like, "I I appreciate your hatred of people that are different. However, I must now beat you." <laughs> can't have your racism mess. While, while I like your racism, I can't have it disrupt uh, our our daily business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Harry blacks out. When he comes to, he's back in his cell. Um, and uh, Genghis thanks him for the distraction. We learned that if you attack the guards, you get spaced. And the bodies of these cons still float outside the windows of the prison. Heavenly bodies indeed. Conveniently, most of them are clustered near enough to their porthole. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure they cluster them near various windows so people can see them and take a lesson from them, you know? Um, Not, you know, speaking of lessons, these guys could have uh, taken a lot from uh, Admiral Darkstar. Wait, no, not Admiral Darkstar. The Star Before Slayers? They- Star Slayers. You gotta get space crucifixes, man, or else they're gonna get all wiggly out there. That's true, yeah. Harry laments that a hot-headed <laughs> Mongolian and a crazy old coot ain't much, but it might be enough to get him off this damn prison. Next time, don't mess with the big red one. Are you kidding? This is like the exact makings of a D&D party. Absolutely. Oh, man. I love Harry 20, man. It's just got all this uh, space prison stuff. I love how they all wear these, um, like, uh, karate geese, basically, or, like, bathrobe kind of things. Hey, like, man, you never know when you might be taking a shower or doing a little bit of working out in the dojo. It's very, like, yeah, very futuristic 1982 that everybody wears these sort of, like, things Cobra that, like, guy, yeah, that, that are, like, open to the, open to the navel, like very like very like kind of pajama-y like prison costumes and stuff yeah it's great oh man Uh, but with that fox we're done with the comics for october 1982 good goddamn lord yeah last five progger of the year at last um but the question remains fox what were your top and bottom thrills uh, so starting with my bots, like warning to future shocks for reasons that you gave, I feel like they were particularly fine. Although, uh, like 
Tharg overstate his welcome with like a million pages. Yeah, this is this. a this is a three parter for Thra- for Tharg too. Like we had yeah. one part last week and then two parts this week. This is an extended Tharg story. I'm good with like a one or two Prague like Tharg story. Just mm-hmm. a, I get it. Sometimes you got to do it. Anyway, bottom man, I got to tell you, it's it's going straight to Robo Hunter, and I have no problems with this man. That shit was racist. Kind mm. and it was okay. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I like me some goofy Sam Slade, and there were some good Sam Slade parts. But I mean, like, wow, it got uh, got a little yeah. dicey for me to read that. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> all right. Um, but for you know, top like, I want to give it to Harry Twenty, but there were only two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I wanted to give special mention to Judge Shred because it was real, real good. But I got to give credit where credits due. When I see Something that, like, you know, normally for me is sort of like this uh, heartbeat throughout the progs, but but doesn't really impress me all that much until it does. I mean, fucking Rogue Trooper. Nice. This this was really great. Like, I I was super into it. Um, They actually gave him time to do a bit of development, uh, especially with the chips and Gunner kind of being like a, hey man, like, remember yeah. whose side you're on and all this <laughs> shit. Like, you're not a gun. It, it was just real good. I'm excited for how it will conclude. I am sure its conclusion will be okay, but this part was real good. I, I really enjoyed it. That's Especially, awesome. like, like, him getting tortured and, and dealing with all that shit. It was, it was just nice. That's great. Yeah. I'm glad you've turned you around on on Rogue Trooper, by the way. I know um, you had a rough going of it at the start, so I think it's really awesome that you're getting into it now. It was just a real slow burn. Like, yeah. They needed time that. to actually flush out the characters and, and flush out his, like, modus operandi, you know? Interesting. Yeah, I could see definitely how I, I, I know when I when I started Rogue Trooper, I'm your or since I've read a bunch of stuff, I'm bringing a lot to Rogue Trooper when I first read them, so... It's it's, yeah. it's different than experiencing it for the first time. That that's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. How about you, dude? What's your tops and bots? Oh man, uh, for bottom, I'm gonna agree with you on on Robo Hunter. Um, the both the stuff with the Japanese fans and the Italian team were kind of regrettable, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely this really feels like stuff that's a product of its time a little bit. Um, of just, like, maybe there just aren't a ton of, um, I just don't know how much, like, 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 uh, s- someone in England in 1982 would be experiencing Asian people and sort of be, like, in a point where you'd want to avoid sort of some of the things they're doing in this prog, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, cause all this stuff, like, both, um, in Robunder and to a lesser extent in, um, in some of the anti-Asian stuff in, uh, in Harry 20 this week, it's just, you know, it's real bad in retrospect, you know, and it feels like they're doing it for laughs, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a fan of Shuckling. it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just don't find it super funny. You know, no, I'm a little same. bit less with the Italian stuff, just as someone who's got some, uh, who, who's of a, who has some, some Italian descent himself. Maybe I can make jokes about it a little bit more, but um, that's also kind of a little bit objectionable, I guess, you know, <laughs> But not as much as a straight up racism of the uh, of the ja- of the Japanese fans and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, not cool. Didn't like it in Mach One. Don't like it here. Indeed. Um, 
for tops, I'm going to say Judge Dredd, man. Um, it was real good. I love this story. I love when the angels come back. I love just the move and the plot of, um, you know, tying up loose ends and getting things to a new sort of stasis with uh, Dredd and stuff. Um, just the stuff about destiny and uh, the Judge Child's a- a- attempts to uh, change it was um, cool. And I just love the angels and their sort of like countrified sociopaths. Just... <laughs> doing southern accents and headbutting things that's real fun you know (laughs) hitting people with your pipe absolutely yeah pissing please but yeah i thought that was really fun um and just you know um i I really want to shout out carlos scary here of doing stuff with these characters that you know he's sort of borrowing from like mick mcmahon and uh brian ballin from the uh, judge child saga you know uh, I think his take on these characters is, bo- are, are, is really good, and I just think that really shows how versatile he could be as an artist, you know? Absolutely. I will say I am sad about one thing with Judge Dredd, which is I'm fairly certain, I can sense it in my bones, that the Grunwalder will not be back. I don't think we see him that much, no, I'm sad to say. Because he is like, he he was cool when he first showed up. Yeah, he's, he's a cool robot cool emperor, now. for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, who's to say? We might see him eventually. I don't know. But I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradoline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner 2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, look up Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come back next time as Rogue Trooper fights with the Traitor General and then heads to Fort Nero for one of my all-time favorite Rogue Trooper stories. Um, then both Ace Garp and Harry 20 get to know the joys of space prison. Sam Slade gets musical and justice is done as the Executioner comes to Mega City 1. Oh, it's gonna be good. Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Let's go and take my drink.